Well, this is a treat. <laughs> <laughs> this is unusual, really, isn't it? <laughs> it really is unusual. It's been a while since we've podcasted. Yeah, been a long time. And the reason that we are doing this is because something came up in the news and uh, we thought it was newsworthy. And um, a lot of people were upset about it, too. So, you know, we really wanted to allay people's fears. Right. So what is this amazing, crazy thing that happened? What's, what is it? Well, there's a artificial sweetener called erythritol that's commonly used in all kinds of calorie-controlled weight loss diets. Right. Not just keto, but Weight Watchers and just about every, every diet that uh, involves caloric restriction uh. suggests replacing sugars with artificial sweeteners, non-nutritive sweeteners. Right. And the phrase artificial sweetener tends to raise people's hackles a bit. Uh-huh. Just to get people comfortable with the whole thing, uh, this particular artificial sweetener, it's a sugar alcohol called erythritol. We make it in every cell in our body Ooh. as part of our normal mechanism of processing glucose. Huh. So it's it's not abnormal. I think one of the reasons why people have such a, an averse reaction to that term mm. is because I remember in the 70s when uh, saccharin was everywhere. Saccharin, yeah. Mm. And it was determined to be cancer causing. Yes, and, and we should probably talk about that at some at some point. Um, uh, saccharin's an interesting story, but, uh, you know, it, it's actually yeah. made from tar. And uh, somebody <laughs> was somebody was isolating all of the components in tar and accidentally tasted some, and I'm not sure how that happened, <laughs> but they found it was exceedingly sweet. There are a lot of things that taste sweet. So there's like uh, six or seven uh, amino acids. Yeah. These are the building blocks of protein. That are sweet. Right. So you probably remember when I got my tooth implant done. Uh. Once it had been, the original tooth had been extracted, um, the bone had to heal. And uh. so I took glycine. So I was using glycine, which is an amino acid, uh, glycine powder in my coffees instead of sucralose uh, uh. for like three or four months to uh, to aid or essentially glycine is a, is a component of uh, collagen uh, that's going to be used to help form new bone. So why not? My dentist at the time said, you know, you've got really stable bone. It appears that you can grow bone very easily. So, <laughs> And another reason people are sensitive to artificial sweeteners is because of uh, what was the, the story came out about NutraSweet, that it was originally a rat poison. <laughs> and then they found if they diluted it, it was sweet, right? And wasn't it Dick Cheney that pushed it through? Wasn't he part of that whole thing? I I don't know about that story. I should. Oh, I, you didn't. I, you didn't hear no, that? No, it's it sounds it sounds like a Dick Cheney sort of thing to do. But <laughs> yeah, I think he was part of the. I don't know. I'm I'm I don't want to start crazy rumors and stuff. But I'll look that up and link sure, to it. If, sure, you yeah. do some research. <laughs> yeah, I'll do some research. Far be it from me to say, oh. Blah, blah, blah. But I do remember yeah. hearing that it was uh, originally not intended to be a sweetener. Right. And then they diluted it and it turned sweet and whatever. Yeah. There you go. So, whose idea was it to say, hey, <laughs> we take this rat poison and dilute it a little bit? I I'm think I'll taste rat it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how much do I have to dilute this before <laughs> I don't die? <laughs> Science. So, right. so uh, the approximate reason for this uh, sort of podcast, extra podcast episode is the fact that this article came out um, a couple of days ago 
a reporting of a study that that was done by the Cleveland Center, and it were the the study's title is the artificial sweetener erythritol and cardiovascular event risk. Yeah. Now the the science media are not very good at either science or media. <laughs> And, <laughs> and so they they picked up <laughs> they picked up the fact that this uh, this study used a couple of emotive terms like keto, right. and the science media jumped on that and said the keto diet is causing heart disease. Oh yeah, by the way, the keto diet is the current you know redheaded stepchild of diet world. Now everybody is is back to fearing it and saying this is the worst thing in the world. Uh, if it, it's effective, it, it reverses type two diabetes. So I don't, I don't give a damn. Uh, I know I'm preaching <laughs> to the choir as our yeah, listeners too. Totally. But, uh, I'm, I, I'm almost in on the 20th of April. Uh, I will be nine years. That's great. Uh, keto. How many years before your body doesn't understand? What is it? Being diabetic, ten years. Yeah. So ten fat cells uh, last on on average for ten years. Mm. So this time, well, twentieth of April next year, uh, my fats, none of my fat cells on average will remember having been in a type two diabetic body. So that's that's, that's so cool. That's the goal I'm aiming for. Yes. Yeah, so so anyway, the all right. Anyway, the the, the the funny thing about adding the word keto in something, especially for the media. Is it's like a an irresistible link bait for them. It's like you know all the videos that say uh, that have a picture of Elon Musk's face and say you can't believe what Elon Musk just did. Yeah, and right. It's just right. some rubbish. It's like sweet rat poison to them, isn't it? It's it's <laughs> it's, it's sweet NutraSweet, <laughs> heavily concentrated Dick Cheney NutraSweet. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, um, so, of course, all these articles came out saying, you know, the keto diet shown to be uh, causing heart disease. Right. A friend of mine sent it to me, and I <laughs> said, hmm, let me take a look at this. And I'm looking at it. It just didn't smell right. And nah. so that's when I sent it to you and said, what do you think of this? Bullshit. And, and you pulled it <laughs> apart. Yeah. Yeah. Malarkey. Malarkey. Anytime you see somebody mentioning in the abstract or in the discussion section of a paper some term like keto, um, unless it's specifically about ketogenic diets, in which case they should say ketogenic diets, right. when they use pop science terms like keto, um, that sets, sets my hackles up almost immediately. And almost immediately I'm, I'm like, why are you trying to get attention for something that's not what it's purporting to be. In this right. particular case, the, the, the comment in the discussions was that um, uh, it, was, it was trying to make the case that uh, foods high in erythritol include things like keto ice cream. Yeah. That's not a scientific statement. That's link bait for the media. Sure. And, of course, they all took the bait, and so it's all over the place. Mm -hmm. Let's have a look at the actual study, though. Okay. Some parts of this are good and some parts of this are uh, are not, and some parts of this are hypothesis generating. In fact, the, the whole thing is hypothesis generating. We should also mention that it is currently behind a paywall, right? Yeah, so it, it wasn't for the first couple of days, and this is typical. So when uh, the paper that I was a co-author on, uh, when I first uh, posted uh, in, on social media that it was available, it was available outside the paywall, but we always knew it would go under. You know, it, it, it's normally there for up for a couple of couple of days, uh. couple of weeks at max, and then. It goes under the paywall, so you had to grab it in the first couple of days. It was pu it was published on the twenty seventh of February, so it's uh, it, it's only a week old. Okay, 
So it's actually three studies. It's not one study. So the first study, uh, they were looking at uh, 1,157 patients undergoing cardiac risk assessment at the Cleveland Clinic, and they were looking for any possible metabolite they can measure in the blood to see is there anything that can predict people who are more or less likely to have a a heart attack or a a cardiovascular event. It's called MACE. So these were patients that were already at risk? Yeah. So this these were patients, the average age was 65, mm-hmm. 22% of them. So one-fifth of them were type 2 diabetics. Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, 17% had a, a history of, of, of heart failure mm-hmm. or had, were diagnosed with heart failure, and uh, 46% had a history of myocardial infarction. So 46% had had a heart attack already. So this is a group that you'd expect you, you're going to get some numbers in. Sure. And just their HDL average 34, their trigs were 122. So we're talking about a group that is those that weren't diagnosed type 2 diabetic were probably, um, there was probably a lot of uh, people pre-diabetic. This is a sick group to start off with. Yes. And so that what they were doing was looking at this group of people and looking for a whole bunch of things in the blood, a couple of dozen metabolites in the blood, and then waiting to see who had a heart attack. I believe it's over three years. It was They, they waited for to see who, who'd had a cardiovascular incident in three years. And then they ranked them by how long it took them to have a, a, a heart attack. And essentially, once you rank, the, rank them from the, the least likely to have a heart attack to the most likely to have a heart attack by having had a heart attack, then you can say, okay, is there anything different in the blood of the bottom quarter and the top quarter? And so that's right. they were, that, that's their quartile. So they basically ranked them all. And if the people who were more likely to have a heart attack were in the fourth quartile and the people least likely in the first quartile, the difference between those then suggests that, you know, whatever we're finding in the blood, if there's a difference, then that could be a sign of uh, a risk of heart attack. And they also had two other cohorts. One was a U.S. cohort with 2,000 people, again, 63, age 63, 22% were type 2 diabetic, uh-huh. 19% had heart failure, and 40% had a, a previous heart attack. And then the third cohort was a European group of 833 people, and their age group, average age group, was 75, uh, 18% type 2 diabetics, um, uh, 80% heart failure, and 50% had had a heart attack. So these are three really, really sick sick groups. And then they're looking at what what they could see in the blood that would be associated with uh, having a heart attack within the next three years. Okay, so the thing I'm picking up on right away is what I said before, which is all of these cohorts seem to be at risk already for heart attack. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you want to do. You want to, you want to get a population that's more likely to give you a result earlier. You don't want to have to wait sure. yeah, 40 years to, to see the first heart attack. So you want to get people who are really quite sick. Right. Uh, and then see if there's any difference in the uh, – biomarkers in the blood. And they did find a significant difference. If you have high levels of of erythritol in your blood, then you're roughly two times more likely to be in the top quartile than in the bottom quartile. What does that tell you? It tells you that it could be a number of things, but it's, it's essentially telling you that either erythritol happens because of a heart attack or because you're going down the path of a heart attack, or a heart attack happens because you have high erythritol, or both are related to some third event. Third factor, yeah. Yeah, third factor. So um, 
the uh, they do mention that um, erythritol is endogenous. We we make it in our body uh, through the uh-huh. pentose phosphate pathway. Um, now this is the the interesting thing about the pentose phosphate pathway is it's an alternate method of utilizing glucose that produces NADPH. It's essentially a, a, a reducing molecule that we can use for two things. We can use it to turn peroxide into water. So it's, it's it, we can use it to reduce uh, oxidative stress. Wow. We also use it to make new molecules, and one of those new molecules we make is fat. <laughs> so when your cells are making fat because they have so much glucose, then this pathway gets really pushed hard, accelerator goes down on it. Uh-huh. The other thing that is interesting about this pathway is that insulin promotes the pathway. Ah. There was a study done in fruit fly cells that showed that insulin stimulates glucose metabolism by via the pentose phosphate pathway. Hmm. And that makes sense because if you're making fat and you've got lots of glucose, then it's because you've got high levels of insulin. So that's interesting. Yeah. That kind of illustrates the the vicious cycle of chronic high insulin, doesn't it? It does, yeah. Your insulin goes high because your glucose is high. Mm-hmm. And then when your insulin is high, it promotes more glucose. It, it, it promotes this pathway, this pentose phosphate pathway that is designed to do two things. One, to make new molecules like new fats, which you do when glucose is high, you make new fats. And the other Uh. thing is to create an ADPH so that you can reduce oxidative stress. So it's a necessary safing pathway. Uh, When you have high levels of insulin, you're not going to be burning fatty acids. You're going to be making fatty acids. And you will also be trying to oxidize all of that glucose, right. and that's going to throw off reactive oxygen species. Okay. So not quite what I said, but a little nuanced. Yeah, it's close. It's, it's close. Yeah, yeah. Here's the thing. Does having erythritol cause a heart attack? Having erythritol in your blood cause a heart attack? Or does having high chronic levels of insulin, uh, for example, because you've got metabolic syndrome, type 2 diabetes, et cetera, et cetera, oh. does have high levels of, of insulin cause your body to make more erythritol endogenously, uh-huh. uh, in which case it's utterly irrelevant how much you're going to right. be putting in your mouth because if you're, all your cells are making it as part of their natural process, what we're looking at when we see high levels of erythritol in your blood is how fast can you clear the stuff that you're making. And the stuff that you're eating may be a small part of it, may be contributing a small amount. But we, but here's the thing. The study doesn't actually go into the causation. It just finds the correlation, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like observing that uh, every month that ice cream sales are high, shark attacks are high. And then leaving <laughs> to the reader to 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 make the make the assumption that well, ice cream causes shark attacks. Right. You know, it's <laughs> there may be another factor, like maybe summer. Summer, <laughs> perhaps. It, yeah. You would think. In this case, <laughs> the the other the factor is insulin. So here's the thing: roughly one in five of the people in these groups had type two diabetics um, diagnosed, and given the uh, the average HDL and and triglycerides uh, measured in probably at least another half of the group were probably pre-diabetic. So it could be a marker that you're in it. Obviously, looks like it's a marker that you are destined to have a heart attack soon or you're at higher risk. Yeah. But the, it's not, doesn't mean it's a cause. And it's not from eating it. <laughs> it's from making it. Yeah. Did they interview these people and say, hey, do you ever <laughs> eat erythritol? Right. You would think, you know, uh, you know uh, maybe, a, maybe a food frequency questionnaire 
involved. Well, it looks like in the third study they actually did, finally in a prospective pilot intervention study, erythritol ingestion in healthy volunteers, N equals eight. 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 Yeah, well, they were originally 40, but only eight managed to finish the study. Yeah, induced, marked, and sustained greater than 2D increases in plasma erythritol levels well above the thresholds associated with heightened platelet reactivity and thrombosis potential in in vitro and in vivo studies. But that just means that if you eat more erythritol, you're going to find more erythritol in your blood. That's all that says, right? Yes, and, and which makes sense. With an N of 8. Yeah, yeah, with an N of 8. You know, it could be an N of 1. It wouldn't matter. At least you're showing that there is at right. least one person um, who ate erythritol and you could see a higher level in their blood. Yeah, because it's a sugar alcohol. Yeah, well, it was back to baseline after three days. So, you know, uh, when they say greater than two, it wasn't much greater than two. Okay. But even still, uh, we will get to that study because there's some points to make about it, but we really right, cool. should go through this to start off with. Uh, it's good to have you back, buddy. It really is. <laughs> it is. It's good to be back. So the, the, still on the first study, um, Essentially, the, the, the summer in this particular story is high levels of insulin. High right. levels of insulin cause, um, uh, uh, hyperinsulin, uh, hyperinsulinemia causes reactive hyperglycemia, um, which also causes insulin resistance. And you end up then making more erythritol. Uh. If you look at a, ty- a, a diabetic population versus a non-diabetic population, you will see a difference in the amount of erythritol in their blood, even uh. if they've eaten none. So, right. so okay. there's that. And now we know that uh, one of the hallmarks of, of metabolic disease, metabolic syndrome, one of the hallmarks is is heart disease. One of mm-hmm. the diagnostic um, uh, the symptom, the, the symptoms of uh, metabolic syndrome is heart disease. It's right. Primary, primary cause of heart disease. And yeah. so that links up. If you have high levels of insulin because you've got metabolic syndrome, you will, ha- like, there's a, you will increase the risk of both heart disease and erythritol in your blood. Doesn't mean that erythritol in your blood is causing the heart disease. Yeah. It could mean more likely that something else, high levels of insulin, was what's causing it in the first place. And then right. the final point I would make about this first part of the study is that one of the other symptoms of metabolic syndrome is kidney disease. And how do yeah. you get rid of erythritol um, out of circulation? Through your kidneys. So if uh-huh. this could also be a marker for failing kidney function. So with all of these things, if you see, if you see a metabolite um, that is that is accumulating, you have to look not only where is it coming from, but how is it getting out? And if yeah. there is a difference in those two rates, if the rate that it, it's it's um, exited is larger than the rate that it's coming in, you won't see the accumulation. If that ratio changes, you'll start to see accumulation. So this study didn't even look into kidney function um, hmm. of these participants. So, and, and that's something that you would have thought would be would be the first thing to look at. You would think. The first part's just associational, uh-huh. probably reverse causality and or, or third factor causality. And so it really doesn't tell you a lot. We, we don't know anything more about erythritol and heart disease from that first part of the study. Right. The second part of the study was interesting because what they, they realized, obviously, well, we don't have any plausible mechanism, so we need to investigate this stuff. And uh, actually, I should 
I should mention for the first study, it wasn't just erythritol. They found a whole bunch of things that are all intermediates of the of the pentose phosphate pathway. Oh, uh, things like xylose and arabitol, and there's a bunch of uh, polyols that are that are all uh, end products of uh, of of mm, uh, metabolizing yummy. the pentose phosphate pathway. So, <laughs> so they only chose they picked out erythritol and said this is going to be our villain. Right. There's a bunch of other things. There's xylitol in there. That's sig- there's a significant amount of xylitol in the people who were more likely to have a heart attack. Huh. Um, so before I finish with the first study, there is one other factor, and that is that people who have metabolic syndrome and therefore have a good chance of uh, of symptoms of heart disease, there's a good chance that some of them are overweight because it kind of goes together, metabolic syndrome right. and obesity. Sure. And what do people who are obese do? They eat, they, 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 they try to switch to non-nutritive sweeteners. So there's a bunch of non-nutritive right. sweeteners in, that are appearing in the panel. So it could also be just a, a, a diet-induced increased intake as well as, you know, kidney function dropping, as well as endogenous production um, uh, of erythritol and threatol and arabitol and um, xylose, all these pentose phosphate. Uh, metabolite. Yeah. So, you know, it, the first study, it's, 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 uh, associational. It's, it's kind of sloppy. It doesn't really tell us anything new about the uh, association that it's purporting to show. So what they did was they realized that they were going to make the villain out of erythritol. So they decided, mm. let's test it in the lab. So they got some as, essentially test tubes with some human blood in them. And they had some tests of clotting factors and they tested them with uh, increasingly high levels of erythritol, and mm-hmm. they found that there were some metrics that changed when there was more erythritol introduced. And, th- and that's interesting. Sure. It was a small effect, but significant. The effect of adding erythritol was not as significant as the other activators of clotting uh, that were being used in the in the experiment, but that's okay. That's any any effect, even if it's small, as long as it's it's uh, significant, is uh, is interesting. So clotting, what was the effect again on clotting? So the effect on clotting was that it uh, it caused clots to occur earlier, and they also had a model of occlusion. So they they basically had a a model of how much clotting would be needed to stop blood flow in a small blood vessel. Oh. And they were able to determine that with erythritol, it happened a lot quicker than without erythritol. Um, Okay. Given these other factors that cause clotting were being added in. It's a plausible mechanism. They showed it in, in a test tube. It doesn't really help much. It, I mean, what this is is a hypothesis-generating activity. What you really need to do now is to take people who aren't eating erythritol and get half of them to eat erythritol and then measure their clotting. That's what you would do. Yeah, So, and, and that might seem like a, a dangerous step if you believe that erythritol is the evil thing that it's being made out to be, but we should note that you make it and you make people it. <laughs> eat it all the time. Yeah. Right? So. So we want to see the effect on clotting. You got to do a study in actual humans. See the thing about doing, you can do just about anything in a test tube, yeah. and get what looks like a, a reasonable result. All that right. tells you is that there's a plausible mechanism, but you still need to do the in vivo studies to actually know that if if it actually if it's true in real life. So, right. for example, um, SARS-CoV-2, you can kill that with ivermectin, and we've known that since April of 2020 in a test tube. 
Of course, you have to use 65 times as much as the highest overdose that was survivable Yikes. Uh, of ivermectin. Uh, but right. if you do 65 times the amount that, that some dude survived, <laughs> then sure, you can kill SARS-CoV-2. I mean, you can do it with ethanol as well. I mean, sure. <laughs> dude, now hold on. D- don't try and, <laughs> don't try and out drink SARS-CoV-2. Yeah, don't do that. So the active ingredient in, um, a hand sanitizer is it's uh, it's forty percent ethanol. So and that, right. that's what that's what uh, kills the virus. So yeah. uh, but hey, the, if we but, all you know, just took bleach, you know, <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, it'll work in a test tube. It's not going to work in your body. All right. I think that the highest blood alcohol concentration uh, in history was some Scottish dude. Of course, it was a Scot. Uh, <laughs> it was probably it was probably fine single malt whiskey. He was sitting in a corner, um, going, "Oh my stones! Oh my stones!" <laughs> it, it, but um, he um, he he survived the the, the highest known recorded blood alcohol concentration. Of course, he didn't survive the car accident. But oh. but, but you know, he it wasn't That's the alcohol shame. that was killing him. But you know, the 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 thing is that I think that was like. Uh, it was under 1%. So good luck getting to 60% ethanol in your blood. All right. So the point Richard's making is it just because it happens in a Petri dish doesn't mean it'll happen in the body and you got to do a study in the body in order to find yeah. out if that's really exactly. a factor. And exactly. you know, because there also may be, your body's smart, right? There may be mm. some process or some chemical release that will uh, negate that. Yeah. Yeah. They'll pick it apart. Our body is brilliant. It's a homeostatically regulated system that right. is used to dealing with weird things from the environment. Right, and right. And so, you know, you don't know how your body's going to react to that. You, a, uh. a test tube doesn't have kidneys to actively filter out metabolite. Right. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah. Um, good on them for doing that study. Right. Kind of dumb that they didn't do it for the other highly significant uh, metabolites. Uh, why mm-hmm. didn't you do it for isothionic acid or threatol or pseudouridine or arabitol, um, xylose, even um, xylitol, which was still significant? Right. Sure. If they did it, they didn't mention it, but maybe they mm. maybe they did and didn't get results. But um, you know, it 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 uh, certainly should have been done anyway. Okay. Okay. So finally getting to the third part of this study. This is the one that Carl was mentioning that has an N of eight. Right. (laughs) 40 people signed up for it. Only eight survived. And what they did was they gave him an erythritol challenge, which was 30 grams of erythritol in a drink. Uh, It was kind of, kind of like a glucose tolerance test. They get the the erythritol and then they get the blood tested every hour or so for, I think it was up to nine days that they did this total test for. Um, so that, that would have been a, a horrible thing to go through. No wonder only eight people's. It lasted. And they showed that, you know, if you give people erythritol to eat, the erythritol in their blood will go up. Right. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> well done. <laughs> that doesn't tell you much. It's water soluble, and we knew that was going to happen. Yeah. And it's, and it's going to be excreted in the urine. It's going to be filtered out by the kidneys and excreted in the urine. And the kidneys have got a lot of things to do, so they don't get rid of all of it immediately. Great. Uh-huh. And also, erythritol is. It, Normal in the body, it's endogenously produced, so the kidney doesn't, you know, the kidney doesn't have to get rid of all of it immediately. Wow. Um, there's probably more important things for the kidney to be filtering out, like uh, urea. Yeah. Okay. What they what they showed was that you know people can have um, if you eat erythritol, it it's in your blood, and they showed at the levels that they could cause some of the platelet aggregation in the. In the um, right. the in vitro study, so but here's the thing: 
you had people that you just gave that amount of erythritol to. Did you look at the their, uh, how their blood clotted? Did you take right. blood from these people? You had eight people in the study. You started with 40. Only eight, eight lasted the full duration of the study. Eight lasted to do the third part of the study. That's what you meant. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, no. This, these are different eight people. These are eight people that they probably got in. They're probably, probably students from- from a nearby school or something. Um, uh, but when you said eight out of 40 survived, what do you mean by that? Survived this third? Oh, it last, lasted the nastiness of the study. <laughs> 32 oh. told them to get stuffed. <laughs> 32 oh, told them, oh, oh, they I'm sick die. of this. I'm sick of it. No, no, they didn't die. They, oh, okay. They, they, they dropped out of the study. <laughs> they dropped out. All right, good. <laughs> they said, okay. They said, I'm sick of this malarkey. <laughs> so anyway, but th- but eight, eight, eight lasted. Yeah, I shouldn't have said survived. They, eight All right, okay. At the end of the study. Yeah. I, I was curious. And, yeah. So, um, but here's, you know, you had eight, you had at least eight people that you gave an erythritol challenge to. Right. Did you test the, the clotting uh, metrics of their blood before you gave them the challenge, during yeah. the challenge, and after the challenge? I mean, that would have been the obvious thing. That would have been tied up the whole thing with a bow. Maybe they did and they didn't get good results and thought, well, you know, if we remove this, then then we're going to get lots of press for this, for right. the study. But um, it, it's hypothesis generating. I mean, the, the, the fact that you can slightly alter the clotting speed with uh, high levels of erythritol and uh-huh. the fact that people who have metabolic syndrome have high levels of erythritol, it could be a causal link. It could be that high levels of insulin cause you to make more erythritol and to uh-huh. filter less out through your kidneys, and uh-huh. maybe that affects maybe that affects clotting through this mechanism that's elucidated, but they haven't shown it, and we don't really know much more about any association between uh, erythritol ingestion uh, and... Um, and heart disease. So, yeah. So, one study that might be fun to do is to ingest, first of all, take a, a sample, a urine sample. Right. And see how many parts per million of erythritol are in it, right? Sure. And then eat a pint of erythritol ice cream where you can measure how much erythritol you're, you're ingesting. Mm-hmm. And then measure your urine again until that level goes Gosh, down. Yeah. Yeah. Goes back Would, down. Find out how yeah. long it's going to take to return to normal levels. That that just sort of tests your kidneys' ability to remove it, right? Yeah. I mean, that would be useful, but it wouldn't tell you anything. It would be kind of similar to the one where they tested uh, erythritol levels in the blood. It would just be a downstream factor of that, right? Uh, because the the reason it's going away is because it's coming out in urine, right? And so the reason it's dropping in the blood is because it's being filtered out, actively filtered out. Mm. So here's the question, Richard. Everybody wants to know. Yeah. Should I stop eating erythritol? No. Okay. And I have a familial clotting disorder. I have Leiden factor five. Hmm. So I don't break down existing clots as quick as the average bear. Okay. And the thing, one thing that is probably not well understood is that we're always making clots and always reducing them. And, and this happens all the time. And it's only when we get an injury that that rate changes. And so, and that's, that's when clotting occurs. So it's that ability to stop the clots means my, my blood is a little bit thicker than most. It means that I'm, I'm probably descended from uh, a lineage that did a lot of fighting and a lot of small cuts and, and uh, staunching blood flow in preference to clotting diseases was probably an advantage. So don't mess advantage. with Richard. I think that's <laughs> well. As yeah, as a, I, I have a gladiator physique. That's not so, a yeah. knife. <laughs> that's not a knife. Ah, I seen you. Yeah. I seen. 
I've seen you played knifey spoony before. <laughs> How, well, well, let's take you. All right, you've mm-hmm. been ketogenic for nine years. Yeah. Do you occasionally eat? Years, yeah. Do you occasionally eat erythritol-based foods? Sure. I don't eat a lot of sweets. I certainly right. don't bake a lot. Yeah. But I would not look to see if something had erythritol to worry about it because I don't yeah. eat that kind of food that often. Well, and also, if you think about it, your your body has changed in nine years and yeah, probably it's no changed the in same body. <laughs> the first year. Like, you don't have all these risk factors that the people in this study did. No longer. Uh, this no is longer. true. Yeah. Um, I think that there are better alternative sweeteners to use than, there than are. erythritol. I mean, yeah. erythritol's in swerve, right? It's erythritol and stevia. I think so, yeah. 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 Pe- people tend to, to, to get sort of bent out of shape about uh, uh, anything that's not from a plant. And so right. people say, well, stevia is fine because it's from a leaf. Cocaine is from a leaf, people. <laughs> <laughs> you can't right. have an unlimited amount of cocaine. Sorry. No. <laughs> plant-based. Exactly. I only use plant-based drugs. <laughs> cocaine, marijuana, opium. Yeah, that's right. None of these lab drugs. That's my limit. <laughs> well, technically a fungi is not a plant, so. Okay. I, I will extend my... My aegis to <laughs> the to the fungal kingdom, <laughs> plant or fungus based, exactly. So um, the other thing that uh, concerns me about this, I'm not concerned about erythritol. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not particularly. If I was a baker um, and I was baking like twice a week, I would probably, you know, at, at least some of the time use other. Uh, alternative sweetness, and there are better alternative sweetness. Allulose is much better as an ingredient for a baker. It is, yeah. Well, you know, maybe not for baking. Actually, we should say this, that allulose burns at a lower temperature, mm. so it's not great for baking. I, li- I like that because it, it doesn't it – doesn't, so when you burn sugar, it gets really bitter. Yeah. Allulose can uh, – allulose can – can burn without getting bitter. And so you get that really dark caramel flavor. Ah, uh, I don't know. I've had some really bitter allulose-based baked goods. Oh, terrible. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I think, well, I, th- I think that swerve is probably better for yeah. baking it. But, but here's the thing, right? If you're doing keto right, you're not eating baked goods a lot. You're not. No. You're not. But, but it is, it is important not to, to prevent people from, uh, from using baked goods if, for example, somebody might say, look, if I can't have a cookie after after a meal, I'm yeah. not doing this keto diet. Yeah, okay, right. For okay. that person, have a cookie, do yeah. the keto diet, reverse your diabetes, and then we can talk about whether you, you crack really on. need the cookie or not. Yeah. <laughs> so there's that. What irritated me really about this whole thing is there are a lot of keto influencers who mm-hmm. got really bent out of shape about this. Right. Ken Berry did a video about it, and uh, I've got his exact quote here. His quote was something like, if you think that you need sweet foods in your mouth and replace sugar, which you should definitely do, with erythritol, it will probably increase your risk of heart attack or stroke. Wow. That's irresponsible. I do believe that. Yeah. Nina 
posted, yikes, artificial sweetener associated with increased risk of heart attacks. And she posted a link to the study. I think she took it down, though, after she after she figured it out. Yeah, She did. But you would think Nina would be the, the first one to say, wait a minute, this, right. this is associational data. This is, this is not yeah. reasonable. There's a lot of people who are on the carnivore side of things. This is this uh-huh. is where the problem really comes from, and and their attitude is really. See, I told you, you bakers who are eating, you know, keto yeah, yeah. sweets and treaties are you're uh, fueling their fire. Yeah, exactly. One day I will talk about carnivore diets, and for the uh-huh. most part, I approve of them. And for yeah. the minor part, I do not. And that's going to yeah, be a yeah. fun conversation. I will make more enemies doing that. <laughs> no, no. I think we already talked about your experiences with carnivore. You went carnivore for a while. Yeah, for a month. Yeah, it was great. And then you really wanted to eat salad or something, right? Uh, yeah. And and there's a biochemical justification for getting adequate vitamin C in your diet. And yeah, yeah. You know, people like Amber and I disagree on, on how much vitamin C that you need. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. Absolutely. And I highly respect most of Amber's thinking on the subject. She leaves a lot of room for doubt, as I try to as well, because I think that's an intellectually honest way of looking at things. Yeah. And I think that there are some good influences in the keto community, but there's a lot of people who they just see this as an opportunity. To, and I'm not specifically calling out Nina and, and Ken Berry for jumping on a on a landmine. Sure, yeah, yeah. But but it's human, right? It is. It's human to to say, oh, have a reaction and just put it out there. And then, you know, when you go back and look at it, um, you know, you should take it down. You know, once you figure it out, you take it down and say, oops, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Yeah. You know. It's an opportunity to say, here's, here's, here, here's what I thought I was seeing and here's what I think I'm seeing on the second reading. Yeah. And yeah. here's the difference between those two two opinions and maybe right. you have the first opinion on first reading as well and maybe sure. maybe this experience might be appropriate. But And, and I'm not going to stop following Ken Barry or Nina because of this either. Absolutely not. No. 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 They're, no. they're, they're, they're human valuable. like everybody else. Absolutely. Um, All right. So so anyway, that's that that's that <laughs> I got a bit irritated and that, that made me want to do a podcast. So Yeah. So changing course, we're we're not gonna do mail and recipes and all those crazy things and Mail uh, so I just did one. There we go. One. Okay. Yeah, we go. Um because we've we get a steady barrage of, of great mail and uh, there's no reason to prove that people are liking us and listening anymore. Mm. And uh Recipes, though, I'm, I I kind of want to share a meal that I did recently. You want to do a recipe? Okay. Well, I don't necessarily need to do a full-on recipe, but I can just share a great meal that I made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, pork is like magic meat, right? Yes. <laughs> mm, pork, yeah. So, I recently made um, a pork roast, and uh, I took a picture of the plate, and I put it up on our Facebook page, and I got a lot of great reactions that this is amazing. And I, and I gave the recipe not in terms of, you know, amounts or whatever, but I got to the point with cooking where if I, if I'm going to add something to a recipe, yeah, I can pretty much figure out how much I'm going to add, right? Ratios is sort of built in my brain. Yeah. But can you convey that so that people can? Yeah. I, I guess so. I guess I can do that. So here's the story. I was shopping and looking in the meat department and I saw this. Half what what it said was a half of a picnic shoulder, pork shoulder. So okay. it was cut in half, but it was really like a third. A picnic shoulder mm. is really big, but this was big, like a yeah. third. But it had the skin on it, and I thought, okay, mm. very cool. So I brought it home, 
unwrapped it and I covered it. And I mean, covered it in Redmond real salt, covered it. Okay. Caked on there, put it on a rack in the fridge overnight. So that would dry out the skin, prevent the skin from getting soggy. Yeah. Yeah. Dry out the skin, tenderize the meat, let the salt permeate the meat so it's actually inside. And it turns out it's not too salty when it comes out and you and you cook with it, If as long as you don't add more salt, right? So the next day, I made this, what, what can only be, it looks like a mayonnaise, but it's not. Uh, but it kind of is, right? I mean, I have olive oil. Yeah. And I have lemon juice. Yeah. And I didn't have an egg, but I had lemon juice and lemon zest. Okay. And then I had rosemary, you know, maybe four or five sprigs. And then I- So it sounds like more of a dressing. Like a, it sounds like a salad dressing. Yeah, kind of a salad dressing or and garlic. Pork. So I had three three or four big <laughs> nice. cloves of garlic in there. Oh, that sounds and, like a chimichurri. That sounds like a- Yeah. Well, it was kind of like yellowish mm-hmm. when, I, when I put it all together in a food processor- but I just slathered the whole thing in that. Now, I didn't add salt. Oh, I added white pepper, too, because I'm on a white pepper kick for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. So, slathered that all, and I put it in an oven bag, and an oven bag retains the moisture, but it still gives it the Maillard reaction. Right. Right? So, it's like steaming. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of steaming in the bag, but it also gets, like, brown. Right. So, these oven bags, you can get them in the grocery store, and they come with little twist ties. You can get them in different sizes, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I did that, and I put it on a rack in a baking pan, right? And so that you know, it did have some heat under it. Of course, uh-huh. I didn't want it to burn on one side. No. And I cooked it at one fifty Fahrenheit, low and slow. <laughs> and the Celsius on that is sixty-five degrees. Yeah, sixty-five Celsius. That's low and slow. It's very low and slow. Yeah. So that cooked for five hours. Oh, sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> no, right? Are you salivating? <laughs> so was there like a crust of salt on the outside? No, not really. No, there wasn't. I mean, by the time I took it out of the fridge the next day, it just looked like a, a drier piece of meat, right? Right. Yeah. And so the reason I use the oven bag is because I didn't want to completely dry it out, right? We, typically, when you do low and slow- it's going to dry, so you want like a yeah. really moist meat. Yeah. But here's what I did. I took it out of the bag, and I took all that juice. Yeah. Which is the runoff, you know, from the whatever, and and the, the juice that came out of the pork itself, put it in a, a columnar kind of glass container and used the stand mixer to blitz it into a sauce. Right. So that was so you'd put the mayonnaise stuff on the outside of the meat? Yeah. And and then the meat juices and yes. you mixed all of that and so, the salt yeah, from it. You totally yeah. made pork mayonnaise. I mean <laughs> You made right? pork mayonnaise. Yeah, I do the same with drippings from lamb. Oh, that's wonderful. So yeah. so I put that in a pan <laughs> and I and I turned it up and I turned up the heat to five hundred Fahrenheit convection. Yeah. Nice. And I put the pork back in for 10 Without minutes. The Without the bag. Out just of the, the bag. Out of the bag. So that now you're just blasting it to get it nice and crispy. And now I'm outside. crisping it and blasting it. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> so while that was happening, uh, I have some sprouts in a pan ready to go. Chopped Brussels sprouts with bacon, olive oil, and I have some cheddar cheese that's grated, but I have that on the side. And I have that a little salt. I have that ready to go. Yeah. So now I got 
this pan sauce and it's coming up to the boil, put a little glucomannan powder in it to thicken it up yep. and boil it and then bring it down to a simmer. And if, oh my God, <laughs> so, so good. Uh, was, I call it groovy, not gravy. It's <laughs> groovy. pork it's not groovy. Gravy. It's no longer gravy. It's groovy. <laughs> it's groovy. It's pork groovy. Pork, pork mayonnaise and groovy. That's, oh my God. That's, so good. That's, that's the name of the recipe now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to make pork mayonnaise and groovy. <laughs> You're going to love it. <laughs> so anyway, then- then the, the um, pork came out of the oven after 10 minutes, wrapped it tight, and let it rest. And then um, I, I, I broiled the Brussels sprouts, and when those were done broiling, I added the cheese and melted it, and then put it on a plate, groovy over it, and oh my God. <laughs> I'm going to have the leftovers for dinner tonight. Yeah, yeah. I, I bet you are. <laughs> mm. I'm going to mm-hmm. dream about them tonight because it's 2 a.m. in the morning here. Right. And when I took it out of the oven the first time, when I took it out of the bag, the bone in the middle just went, just popped right out. <laughs> you just put a little pressure on the outside of the ham. It and just it popped right just out and fell on the floor. <laughs> I could have pulled it. I could have grabbed it with the tongs. It goes, boom, on the floor. Uh, Kelly's nice. like, uh, what do you want to do with this bone on the floor, honey? <laughs> we need a dog. I think we need a dog. <laughs> Uh, oh my god so that's good. awesome that's yep. awesome well i'm i'm glad we had at least one recipe i can i can offer a, a, a simple one i actually have a question for you and yeah yeah sure i think i mentioned it before but when i was at your house in 2019 was it for mm-hmm. for a keto fest down under keto fest down under yeah yeah when i was at your house you served me this pork soup and it had three kinds of pork in it. It was a pork soup. Yeah. And it had chunks of pork roast in it. Yes. And then a pork floss. Yes. On top that was crispy yes. shredded pork. Yes. How did you make that floss? I, I just put together some things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so is it, is it pulled shredded pork like fried up in a pan? So there's a bunch of things happening here. Um, the first thing you got to do is you got to make a pork stock. Yeah. And one of the best ways to do that that I've found is to get some uh, smoked hocks. Oh. So the hock is the forearm of the pig or the, yeah. the shin, I guess, the, the lower shin and ankle, ankle, uh, the, just the top of the ankle joint. Yeah. So it's covered with skin. It's been, it's been smoked. I don't know if you can get those in the States. I can. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. We can. Yeah. Any grocery store. Right. And this is my go-to. I will buy two hocks every two weeks. And wow. you get a you get a get a uh, pressure pot, you know, an instant uh-huh. pot. And what you do is you put the the hocks in, you put the ends of any vegetables that you've got, like mushrooms, yeah. celery, celery bits, uh right. chuck an old onion in, chuck some peppers in, yeah, whatever right. you've got. Float around. It's easier than compost and, and, and yeah. it's delicious. So, yeah. So, so what you do then is you fill up the instant pot with water, throw in three bay leaves and you give uh-huh. it 60 minutes at, at high pressure. Uh-huh. And when it comes off the 60 minutes, you give it another 60 minutes. So now it's right. like two hours at high pressure. Then you get a pan and you pull the hocks out and they'll be almost falling apart. And what you uh-huh. want to do is you want to take all of the bones and skin and put them and, and excess fat and put them back in the instant pot. And what you have left is just the, the flesh that you've pulled off these pork, these bone, these, uh, right. 
hawks, hawks. And then, so I just put that in a bowl in the fridge and it just sits in the fridge and, you know, oh. it becomes snack food. So good. The stock is not finished because now what you're going to do is you're going to give it two, maybe another three hours in the pressure cooker. After you remove all the stuff. After you remove all the meat. So yeah. you don't want the meat to go in for any longer because otherwise it loses all flavor. Sure. And then you may as well leave it in for the whole five hours. Yeah. The stock is going to take five hours of, of instant pot cooking. Wow. To go. Now, why is that? Once it's, once it's just liquid, what happens in those remaining three hours? Yeah. So what you want, what you're trying to do is you're trying to break down the collagen into gelatin. Okay. And the collagen in the skin of, of the hock and oh. also the collagen in the bone. So you're basically breaking that down under pressure and heat to produce gelatin. And the resulting stock is so thick. It's like pork flavored jello. It's like smoked pork flavored jello. Ah. I put it in the fridge and in, in a, in a large stock container in the fridge. And it is so, it sets so hard that right. you can carve dice out of it. Yeah, I noticed that too. And, and, you know, yeah. Kelly will say, Oh my God, I don't want to drink that soup. I don't want to eat that soup. That's jello. Warm it up and it's lovely. Yeah, right. Exactly. So I toss that into all my meals and I, I toss that jello into all my meals just to, just to, to give it a nice sort of matured flavor. Um, so after two hours, it comes out, you strain it and you're putting it back in for three hours to, you, there's no more bones in the cut, and there's no more skin in there. So how is it? What is it doing in those? No. So so after after two hours, I take the hocks out, pull the meat off, and put everything else back in. And oh, give it the okay. Other I missed hours. that part. Yeah, I missed so, that part. So so that's and that's that's trying to to break down the the skin as the much skin. as possible. Yeah, ah, I got it. Because you want that gel. You want the gel. You want to create gelatin. Yeah. Are the bones any good after two hours? You leave those in. Oh, they just fall apart. They they're, they're like chalk. But, but yeah, I mean, the bone is made from collagen as well. But do you keep those in for the last three hours? Yeah, you do. Yeah, because yeah. bone is made of collagen as well. So you break okay. down that collagen protein into gelatin protein. We used to make gelatin out of horse's hooves. This mm, is a similar yummy. kind of process. <laughs> yeah, love them horse hooves. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, okay, so that's, 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 that's my everyday stock. That's going to be on the left-hand side of my fridge all the time. And so the ham you just cut up and put in the soup when you- when you serve it, right? Yeah. So, so what I did when I served you that meal was that soup was just that soup, that, that stock. I just served you stock okay. and you thought it was soup. Okay. So, um, <laughs> it was pretty good too, right? It was delicious. It was delicious. Oh my God. So, delicious. so, so how you make the chunks is you get that, the, the flesh that you've pulled off the, the, the hocks and it's right. sitting in a, in a bowl in your fridge that you were snacking on. Right. You just get a little bit of that, Put you, you put a little bit of butter in a pan, a little half a knob of butter, um, and get it melted, and then you put, the, put that hock meat in that pan and then you just crisp up the edges. And so that's the, the meat that was, go, that was going in the- That's in the, in the soup, yeah. Right. Now, the floss. The floss is what I do to make- Essentially, what I'll do is I'll get a large- piece of meat and put it in a slow cooker, uh, like yeah. a, a crock pot, and yeah. I'll cook that for like four hours, and yeah. uh, it just in its juices, and then I get some forks and shred it up, 
bag so it's it. cold pork. It's pulled pork, Basically. yeah, and yeah. It's, it's 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 pulled pork, and you just bag it up and put it in the freezer, and that's a way of you know, if ever you come visit and I've got no meat in the house, all of a sudden I will magic some pulled pork out of the freezer that's like <laughs> three years old. It'll be delicious. <laughs> okay. So anyway, what, what you do is if you want to if you want to turn that into floss, you get pulled pork, you put a little bit of butter in the pan again. A little bit of salt, and you put the shredded pork in the pan, and you move it around uh, very quickly so that the heat doesn't stay in any one place for too long, and it turns right. into that floss. And you just throw wow. that on the top of a bowl of soup. So that's how I made it because it was crispy. I mean, floss is a great word yeah. for it because it was crispy, yeah. crunchy, and delicious. Great texture. That's that was the goal was to to aim for three different kinds of texture. I wanted I wanted mm. pork meat texture. I wanted the gelatinous soup, and then I wanted the floss on top. Fantastic! So that's how I made it. I mean, anyone can do it. Wonderful! It really. I mean, it's one of these things that uh, you know. I used to think this is complicated cooking. It's actually not that difficult. It's just a couple of simple right. procedures. And if you're making stock every week, because it's a ingredient in most of the food that you make, you know, most of the uh-huh. job is already done. All right. All right. So before we go, uh, I want to tell everybody that I have uh, an account on Mastodon now. Okay. Which I'm finding to be a lot better than Twitter, just in terms of engagement. I have 14,500 Twitter followers, and I don't get half the engagement that I get on Mastodon with less than 1,000 followers. Mm. And so uh, my address is techhub dot social uh slash at carl franklin and i'll put a link in there put a link in the show notes yeah and the other thing is we're gonna do another show next week right yeah next week or the week after we're going to record it pretty soon and then it'll come out when it comes out but okay whenever carl system has it coming out so if next week's when it happens that's when it happens yeah and and are we going to uh give a hint about that show or uh, no, I think we might leave that as a surprise. All right. <laughs> but Sounds so good. There's one other piece of news is that we were thinking about doing Keto Fest this year, but All right. there was too many balls in the air and yeah. it was too difficult to get it organized. And this is like your final push year, right? I mean, it's not your final year, but- Yeah, this one, no. I, I've got lots of final years between now and when I finish yeah. this, but- well, This is a particularly um, hard one. This is a particularly hard one. And in fact, the semester I'm in right now is is- particularly the hardest that I've that I've got. Wow. Yeah. All right. My school time was part of, you know, the Keto Fest, uh, we were planning around about September 11, that weekend, mm. and there's a bunch of things like that was right in the middle of my semester, mid-semester break, but I mm. have all of my mid-semester exams the following week. So mm. I really should be home studying rather yeah, than flying yeah. around the world. And also, having been in New York on September 11, I don't really want to fly yeah, you have some PTSD from that. Yeah, I yeah. don't. I have less now, but but you know, it's it's. I I I just don't particularly want to fly much these days okay. anymore. And uh, and but the good news day, is next year is looking pretty good for you, right? Yeah, next year is a lot a lot cruisier for me. So if we do a keto fest next year, then uh, then then I've got more chance of being able to do it, do it without fretting the whole time that I should right. be home studying. And we'll also have more options in terms of the date, I think you said. You'll be more flexible. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the, I'll be doing project work, so I can choose I can choose the date that I want to take That's my so break. That's so cool. I can't wait. 
I yeah I I mean in the meantime we 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 will still do a few podcasts I think we've we've yeah. we've decided that we're going to do a few because uh the, you know there's things of interest coming up yeah we're going to have a reason yeah yeah or we don't <laughs> we just do it because <laughs> we want to hang out so there's also that oh there's that all right well this has been great thanks for catching up with us Richard and and also you know shedding a little bit of light on the subtleties of this particular study yeah. Yeah, you're welcome, Carl. All right. No worries, buddy. Keep calm and keto on, buddy. Yeah, keep calm and keto on. All right, we'll see you next time on Two Two Keto Keto Dudes. Dudes.